Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. We have one heck of a show lined up. Uh, I mean, you can't even get a word in from now on before Alan jumps on, by the way. I used to be able to get at this one introduction, but Alan says greetings from what he's doing. Uh, it's going to be one hell of a show. Uh, like I said, I don't know if it's going to be one of a show in content-wise, but I can pretty much guarantee that there will be some kind of a technical difficulty happening tonight based on the 10 minutes prior. We should just record these behind the scenes moments, but based on the 10 minutes we had before the podcast, it's amazing. First of all, we went live on time and yeah, it, it has bound to be happened. And the main victim himself who can barely stop laughing is Mr. Bickler with the microphone lighting can't hear anything. What's up, Bickler? Are you with us? Yeah, it's been a real shit show. Get on tonight. <laughs> I'm, looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. It's gonna be a total train wreck. I'm that I'm here for it though. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be like it's always some kind of a train wreck, but it's gonna be more than usual, I think. And Mr. Miller Light over there, Galley is at the stadium. They don't serve better beer over there or what? Hey, don't give away um, our sponsors. Come on, man. Oh, sorry. First of all, <laughs> first of all, when you get over to England, you will find that if they had Miller Lite, you would be excited to request one and order it. <laughs> they deliver you worse beer and they charge you more for it. Really? See, our beer experts is uh, Bickler usually who kind of hey, like frowns upon whatever you drink. <laughs> Listen, I'll say, oh, dude, I don't want to make this pod political, though. I would just say that our empire is crumbling and I would take the shitty beer over there right now. <laughs> I think you're probably spot on right now. And I think I would go back and drink some of that freaking shit beer out of a green bottle right now if I didn't have to actually tolerate with some of the uh, political unrest. But here's the good part. We don't have to worry about that unrest on this podcast. We just have to fucking destroy our own one-hour segment here, and we'll do just <laughs> fine at that with these three humps. Exactly. As long as we can just destroy technical difficulties, that's about it. So there's like a lot to talk about, but as always, I got Alan and BJ really going against each other in terms of who's going to submit more uh, trivia questions. So this is like a really quick one that he just asked me, and I would love to say I nailed it, but not even close. Uh, this last season was the biggest gap between Liverpool and Everton of all time in terms of number of points, total points at the end of the season. What was that difference without looking at Google or anything? God, you guys can barely get on air. So I know at the same time, you guys won't be able to Google. Thank God. Bickler, what do you have for a guess? 55 points. That's pretty darn good. And is it right, Galley? No. Um, okay. And <laughs> oh, that was the easy part of that. He guess. told it. So. I mean, I was, that. I feel like that was like a 98, 2% guess. Yeah, way like, to go out on a right? limb there. Bickler's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's like when someone says, you know, there were who, how many times did someone win coach of the year in four seasons? The answer is always You'll zero. You'll see Haley's comment before you die. Probably not. Um, and, and I was told to think about talking this out. So 92, I'm going to say it's 51 points. Oh, I'm going to have to call this a tie because you guys got equally oh, 53. The correct answer is 53. Son oh, of a bitch. Pretty darn good. I was pretty dialed in today. I'll tell you. For all the technical yeah. difficulties, I'll take that. Yeah, that, that just guess, shows yeah. you we can ruin anything, including bad trivia questions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Well done. The guys, we got close. Do better trivia. next time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Alan, I'll expect a much more difficult question next time. Thank you. It's way too early in this podcast. We can both still do we, that. Gally and I were like, well, we got close to 90. What's really bad from 90? I don't know, like 30? What's up from there? 45? 50? Yeah, you know the question is easy when you guys get close. Uh, so let's talk some Liverpool. Let's talk transfer market. Before we kind of delve into... The rumors and like the main discussions that are going online, because obviously the biggest discussion is, are we done? Are we really done? The rumors are we're done, but is it all, is it true? And all that kind of stuff. And I think once we answer and say, we're probably not done, we need this. I think that's where we're going to, I'm assuming we're going to agree. But before we even get to that, obviously the biggest talk right now and the discussion we would have would be geared towards midfield. 
So I figured we would start with that, then kind of like delve into the market. And after we talk about like the people that we have, kind of go off of that discussion to see who we need, if we need it, where we need it, and all that good stuff. So, Gally, let's start with you. Before we even go to midfield, I mean, obviously, if we look at everything in lines, um, you know, in defense, midfield, attacking line, uh, do you feel, would you agree that midfield is probably like the most discussed area at the team right now? Yes, I think that the back line is as stable as it's ever been. I think our center backs are maybe the strongest in all of Europe, one to four. And I think the addition of Ramsey and how much uh, Simicast kicked on last year, I think at some point he puts real pressure on Rabo, not for the starting job, but for more minutes. So with that, I think the defense is there. We lost a world-class player in Mane, but we had question marks in our midfield basically throughout most of last season. We had question marks at the beginning of the year on what Elliot's role and Jones's role. And, and we all still question Nabby. I feel like on a, I don't even want to say a match to match basis. It's like a minute to minute basis. He gets a, <laughs> he gets a grade every 15 minutes. He's on the pitch. Um, fair or unfair, but that's what happened. So, for me, it is the midfield, and I think we'll get into other things about how we line up and how we best are suited, but I think age requires us to put all of our focus on the midfield. So let's go to that in terms of because we've been speculating. I mean, not only us. It has been speculated that there'll be a formation change based on the lineup. It feels like and based on the targets we've been after, Paul, like a 4-2-3-1 is very likely in some shape or form. But either way, we talked about like a lot of the youngsters last week. Um, we also talked about Ox in the podcast before in terms of that third midfielder that can kind of play more of an attacking role. In terms of the two in that 4-2-3-1 is the area probably where we have a shortage. So Fab being a guarantee, who is your top candidate to put next to him on a game where we're playing the 4-2-3-1? Wow, that's a phenomenal question. Thank you. I will just say you are not paid enough. Um, I, I think, I mean, that's really tough. That is really tough. I think Tiago pairs well better left of Fabinho, and I think Hendo pairs better right of Fabinho. So I think that really tactically comes down to where you want Fabinho to be in the lineup. Um, that may seem like a cop-out, but I think that's where it, it really is. And, you know, on, I want to add, you know, I love that little clip where Tiago quotes saying that, for, that Henderson is one of the best midfielders he's ever played with in his entire career because I think there's a split amongst Liverpool fans still – who really genuinely think that Henderson is, is, is overrated and, and is not what he should be. And I think that that is just so patently false. And I think that that quote really lends itself to, to that argument on my behalf. Um, yeah. I, I think Tiago is the, the choice left of Fabinho and, and Henderson's the choice, right. And I think it really comes down to how you want to play that. I still think we're a midfielder short. Um, Okay, I wait, just wait, wait. think when you said how you want to play that, I mean, do you mean like who I think that depends on where right you want Fabinho. Yes, I think that w depends on where you want Fabinho to man mark. I really do. And I think that comes down to, to your opposition. I think if you're playing City, you're playing Fabinho left and you're playing Hendo right. I think if you're playing a lot of other opposition where you don't necessarily have to man mark Fabinho on the left side of that midfield, I think that you're playing Tiago. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that formation is the only formation in which you can justify not picking up a legitimate starting 11 midfielder, because I think if you want to stay in a four, three, three, you are at least one to two bodies short. And I think you need uh Fabinho cover. And I think you need cover for Hendo. I mean, I think if you're okay with a four, three, three, now you're looking at a four, three, three that has a top four midfield of Fabinho, Hendo, Thiago, Keita. And I think Keita is a tactical start, depending on who you're playing. That top four has like legitimate age and durability concerns. And I, and I think that if you want to stay in that 4-3-3, I think you need to add at least one to two starting 11 midfielders. 
So I think that's the issue there. In some ways, I would argue that if you're doing 4-3-3, we're in a better situation than if we're doing 4-2-3-1. Because in my mind, you know, Gally, I'll come to you with this one. Like, if Hendo to me is the obvious choice there, I just don't personally trust Thiago defensively, I guess based on the third midfielder too. But if you have like a really attacking midfielder there, I don't know if I trust Thiago defensively next to Fabinho to be able to hold that position there. I mean, where do you stand with that regardless of you? I mean, if we're playing two in midfield or we're playing three in midfield, who's your call? Well, I, so I I'm I will agree on one level with Paul that I think that it is about where you want Fabinho, right? And I think if you're playing a team where their best player is their left winger or their left wide attacking player, then you probably are going to want Fabinho on the right-hand side giving Trent cover. And on those days, I think that's where Thiago starts. If you're playing West Ham and everything runs through Bowen, on the right-hand side, I want Fabinho there, not Thiago or Keita, even though I'm with Paul too. I think there is a tactical there is a tactical setup that actually calls for Keita to start on the left because the best we've ever seen him is during Thiago injury absences, let's be real. Um, where my concern is, or what I think is probably the big talking point is, is I think we're going to be asking – either Mo, Diaz, Jota, players playing wide to do a lot more defensively because we might have a Bobby or a Carvalho in the center of the pitch. And we know Bobby defends, but he does it in the press. He does it with his effort. I don't know Bobby's dropping deep and, you know, giving you the medal. I'm a little more comfortable on the right because I saw Elliot do a job I wasn't 100% sure he could do at the beginning of last year starting on the right-hand side of the three in midfield. Um, <clears throat> but where it really comes for me is, is there's still a player short because the midfielders, the four midfielders who are all injury prone. And as much as we love fab, he misses some time every year. The four midfielders are all injury prone are all getting a year older. And we're, we're short. I felt we were short with just those four. Because I don't believe Jones is there. I'm, I need to see it from Harvey. And I think Milner is a tactical maneuver, not an option. And we all know where I stand on Ox at this point. He's in the, he's in the stands with me. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I'm not even like bringing players like Ox and Jones and Elliot as much into this conversation as you know, we've been talking about the four, two, three, one. I don't think any of those guys would ever be an option for the two as things stand on this. You know, a huge development happens in their game or something like that. I don't put them in there. So, Bigler, then is the main concern we have not due to the number of players, but more to the injury history of those players? I mean, I think it's just a combination of injury and age. I mean, these guys are getting older. Diago's been up there. Hendo's been up there. Um, I mean, Fab is getting there. Uh, Kata is, I mean, he's probably mid-range. He's fine. But, like, you know, Kata's a player coming with an injury history as somebody that can't sort of regularly start. So, I mean, I think you put those four in a blender – um, I think you take Henderson's last season form and like, I think you, you got to realize that I don't know that Henderson can give you 90 minutes consistently anymore. I don't know that. Um, and, and that's no disrespect to him. I think he's been massively underrated for years. Um, I think I don't know that he can give you that anymore. And I know that Diago can't give you that anymore in terms of like, we've only seen a couple matches where we've run him the full 90 and we make jokes about it on here. Right. <laughs> like, so like, <laughs> I mean, between those two, and then you're sitting with Fab and Hend uh, Fab and Keda, and that makes you feel a little differently, right? Like if I was like you're reduced to Fab and Keda, how do you feel about that? Yeah, you, you don't feel necessarily super. I mean, that makes you a little squirmy. I would hope that it makes you a little squirmy because um, that's just not a good spot to be in between the two of those. I mean, I just think that uh, as a squad. Uh, we're in a position to get younger and, and that's where we need to be younger. And I think we need to start in the core of that midfield. I think there's got to be at least one addition. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we've done that in the front line, right? We've gotten younger. We brought in some players that will, you know, like Nunez, like Diaz, like Jota, like gotten a lot younger. If you look at, I don't know, like a couple of seasons ago till now, obviously with Mane leaving, that average kind of like goes down. But that midfield has been, yeah, progressively getting older. And really the only player that we've added again to the defensive role maybe is Thiago, who like Paul says is, was already up there. It's not like, you know, we brought him in as a young guy. So is that your concern as well, Gally? Like the injury concern, the minute concern? Sparky Parker brings up the fact that in the comments, he says we'll be switching formations because of five subs and how the game is going. I mean, do the five subs ease that concern a little bit that Paul was talking about in terms of minutes or kind of like how we joke about it all the time is Fab is going to come in like 89th minutes to get some rest while Milner I, comes in. <laughs> do, do we do we honestly think he's going to use five subs? I actually I mean, do. Let's be real here. I actually like, do. Like see, two years ago, I every, wouldn't. I do now. He, in every big match last year, in most big matches last year, and I mean the real matches, the matches that really matter. I'm not talking about Burnley putting 11 behind the ball and him wishing he had three more subs to get on, you know, fresh legs late to break down a stubborn press or a stubborn, you know, defensive setup. In all the big matches, he used two subs in a in Milner as a filler. Every one of them. The big, big matches outside of Europe where he had the five subs, he still used two subs. You know, Pep whined all year long, right? Pep Guardiola whined all year long about five subs in his two matches against Liverpool, his two matches against Chelsea, and one against Spurs that he lost. Pep actually used an average of 1.4 subs because in four matches, he played his 11 the entire match. See, I'm okay these big with that. Coaches I mean, that's like change. a different. I mean, here's my thing like, I'm okay with that. I'm more after games where we have the lead, for example, where we can rest those guys so that, like, in the games you're talking, you do have a more fresher handle, fresher fab, as opposed to a fab who's been running to the ground. Like, would you want him to do more subs in a big game? Because I know, like, I wouldn't. So I guess I kind of understand his lack of trust in those scenarios. But he shows the same lack of trust in just about any instance. He brings in one of three players that play off the bench. They play 15 to 20 minutes tops. He doesn't actually make the sub to actually change big moments. There's very few times I can remember last year. One of them might be the, the League Cup or the, the, the FA Cup semifinal, right? He made the subs at halftime of that match against City, and he blew them away with the substitutions because he made a couple mistakes, honestly, from the start. But I don't believe we can get out of Fab and Hendo, or out of Hendo and Tiago, what we got out of them this year. The minutes they put in, and this is these are two 30-plus-year-olds who plan to play big roles for big countries in November for five and a half weeks in the middle of the desert. Henderson's going to play some minutes if England wants to be good because when he's on the pitch, they're a much better side. And I think he is going to get minutes. And I, I I just feel like we have to watch and guard against these minutes with these midfielders. And I think the number one way to do that is purchasing a midfielder. And I saw some comments over in the in the chats. And I, I honestly, I can't read fast enough to read as much as Daz put up on the screen. Um, but it seemed like there were a couple of good names in there. And he had some good points as well. I just don't see how not buying a midfielder that this team will get to January without being gassed when 65 to 70% of the big players in the squad are going to leave for five weeks to play for managers who don't give two bleeps about their stamina for the second half of the campaign. And I think we need to prepare for the fact that 60% of our main core squad will be taxed. You know, we talk about how tough AFCON was for Mo and Mane coming back from and what we saw out of it, I could see six or seven of our players being asked to put Mo Salah-like minutes for five and a half weeks and walk right back into a holiday fixture schedule as soon as it ends. That's a tough spot to put people yeah, in. Yeah, I, I know. I think that's a bit too pessimistic. we switching roles over here. I mean, I, first off, I mean, in terms of minutes, I understand what you're saying with the World Cup. I think the location of it, obviously, is like a huge thing to take off of them. But 
I mean, I don't think you're gonna have that many players because you know it, it would be very unlucky, I guess, or lucky, whichever, like, lucky for them, I guess, for uh, all of them to go that deep into the tournaments and actually be getting those minutes. I think the thing that about Afghan for Mo and Mane was they're the stars of their team, so they're out there every freaking minute, and obviously they went to the final. And I understand with the club concern, and I do, I would agree with it. I think more. If we were having this discussion maybe like a season and a half ago, I felt like this past season, he kind of changed a lot in that sense, maybe because of the season prior and how it went, that he was doing a lot more rotation. And sometimes, you know, we were uncomfortable with that rotation. But I feel like he would do more rotation, Paul, like give more minutes and more rest to those guys. And I am okay with him keeping the go those guys you know extended minutes i don't want them rolling the dice in a game against like city or chelsea or whatever but i just want them if we're up by two against i don't know um let's say brantford or somebody like for him to be able to i guess that's a bad example because they did come back on us one two no but you know what i mean like in terms of using those games to get somebody rotated and get some like rest to people like hando and fab and Member. Yeah, look, you're gonna hate this when we land firmly on the fence on this because, like, I understand the point you're making. I think he did do a better job of making rotation this last year, but I mean, I think my therapist would have a lot to like talk about with Klopp in terms of his <laughs> clear trust issues. I don't know if this goes back to his like messy breakup with Buvak or not, but I mean, we all sat here and we sat here and watched him go through a 10-game winless span in a six-week span where he started midfielders as center backs when we had ready center backs ready to play, you know? Like, I mean, so he does have he does have a tendency to be stubborn and sort of stick to his guns and, and sort of, like, put his faith in, into one set of basket uh, without really looking at other alternatives. So, um I think that you can't discount those numbers that Galley puts out in terms of how he substitutes in big games. But I do think that there's some legitimacy in your point. I think that the five substitution rule is designed to put us on par with the rest of Europe. He was doing the same thing going into the champions league. We want to have the same amount of rotation arrests as the rest of the teams coming in the champions league. Yep. And you look at that and you're looking to rest on the front end so that when you do get into those big games, you don't have to substitute as often, right? Like, yeah. so I think there's some legitimacy to both. I think the, the substitution pattern from Galley is, is spot on, but I think to, to, to Timuchin's point is that substitute pattern is probably there for a reason because we want to rest and, and we really strongly believe in our best 11 is our best 11. And if we make Tactical adjustments, you're looking at as one or two players coming in to make that formation switch. You're not looking at three or four players coming in because of fatigue. So I, I, I'm like straight up on the fence, and I'm sorry to do that to you guys because I know that I was supposed I, to be the sort of controversial asshole. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a shock. You can just be an asshole. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> Must be a part of the technical difficulties. But so – I mean, I guess my thing with that is I understand, especially in those games where again, you know, like City, Chelsea, where it's really intense, it is a lot riskier too to sub and put somebody in just because they don't have as much time, or you can't afford to give them as much time to get adjusted to the pace of the game. Well, let me ask you this, for example, Gally, like were you happy with the like overall substitution patterns in the Champions League, at least in like the earlier rounds as we kind of built up. Like, does that give you hope in terms of how the Premier League will be handled? I I, I was actually happy there because he made conscious decisions. Now, I also think he plays specific players in Europe at stages of their Liverpool career. Do you remember when Naby got every start in Europe, but he didn't get sniff minutes? And... Everyone was screaming earlier in the year, like, when is Kanate going to show his worth? And when is he going to get an opportunity to play with the first 11? And then the Champions League came around and Jurgen was like, he's going to get every one of these matches. Because let's be honest, the Champions League is more forgiving, even against top level opponents, than the Premier League is. Because you make one small mistake in the Premier League and they run you off the pitch. They know you inside and out. Um, I do find that it, it, it as a positive. 
but I'm still a firm believer. Like we're seven, eight years in it's, it's proof is in the pudding time. Like I got to see it. I don't just got to hear about it. I hear about him talking about five subs. I'd like to see him use but it. I'm Cause saying, he had he it in the champions league. <laughs> well, but he's had it. He had it two years ago in the premier league and he didn't use it. True. So, and, and, he, and you could argue he might have even had a deeper squad then because he had veterans like Lalana and people sitting on the bench that he actually trusted. And he still didn't give minutes to. So, you know, and, and to my point about the World Cup, you know, we can say, oh, well, all these teams go deep in it, right? Netherlands, France, Brazil, Spain, and England are five of the top seven favorites of the tournament. That's who the majority of a lot of our key players that play international football are on squads they're in so i do think there's a chance and to sparky parky's point that popped up you're right i don't think henderson does sniff the starting 11 but i also think that that was when phillips was playing every single week for Leeds, not playing once every five matches for manchester city for 10 games for 10 minutes at a time and i think if henderson is playing the way henderson plays there's a very good chance he's the midfield too, alongside Declan Rice. This is the best chance they have. And they also know this is Jordan Henderson's last shot at big European or a big England tournament. And I genuinely believe and Harry Kane has said it when Jordan Henderson's on the pitch, England operates better. We credit it. Tiago, maybe the most decorated player on our entire squad. I don't even think it's a, maybe it is a guarantee. He's the most decorated player on our squad, a world cup medal league medals, you know, he's an, an all-time champion, and Paul referenced it earlier of how important he finds having Jordan Henderson on the pitch with him is. Derek Southgate is not the smartest man. We all joke on this podcast. But I think he recognizes Jordan Henderson's importance because, honestly, there's no other reason Jordan Henderson would have been on the Euro roster last year or two years ago other than to help them try to win it. And they got pretty damn close. So I think Jordan Henderson will play a big role in this World Cup. And I think that's a tough spot. Darren says, not to worry, lads. England will be out early. And yeah. Uh, I, I well, lucky for you, Darren. You got the U.S. in that group. Yeah, so exactly. don't worry, buddy. You don't got to worry. You got at least the quarterfinals looking at you because you got <laughs> matches against Israel, the U.S., and a Wales team that will be primed up because Gareth Bale, their bell-ringing winner, is doing yeoman's work in L.A. And by yeoman's work, I mean playing a lot of freaking golf. Yes, he in the English, you love to be self-loathing, but you can't be as self-loathing as an American right now. I'll tell you that <laughs> there is nothing as self-loathing as an American. So, I mean, that's the thing. I I agree, and I think we're all in agreement that in an I we would like one more name to be added to this midfield. It would make us sleep a lot easier. Normally, I would with Klopp. I mean, there has been times over the last three, four seasons. I mean, we've joked about it on our Discord channel about you know we're up three and we're still like eighty third minutes and you know like we're not doing substitutions and stuff like that. But I think the last year has kind of like helped me be optimistic. Just like, that's why I asked you, Gally, about the Champions League, because I thought I saw some things over there that I was like, you know what, maybe he is learning. Like going back to what Paul is saying, maybe he is learning. Maybe he did learn from those experiences and knows. I mean, that was like a ridiculous season last season as well, that we played every single freaking game. And yes, we could have probably, we did a lot of rotation, but probably definitely could have used more. You could tell in the last couple of games, like the boys were kind of tired. So let's, having said that, Am I in agreement as well, Paul? We'll start with you that we need a midfielder that's going to obviously be able to play in that 4-2-3-1 or either way is going to be able to play as a defensive midfielder. Yes, we need number one midfield cover for sure. At least one. Yep. Wait, you have a longer shopping list, I gather, or you just have... No, one to two midfielders. I mean, one, one defensive holding midfielder. Yeah, one to two. I mean, I think we need one defensive midfielder, and I think we need one that can play box to box. I know that's obscene, but like the money's there. Like, listen, we were talking to Mbappe, we were in for Chuameni, and we were in for Numez at the same time. The money is there. Like, I think we need one to two starting mids. I know, I mean, I'm probably on the extreme end of that for you guys, but that's where that's where I fall. How long is your shopping list there, Gally? I was I was actually like if you bought a marquee mid, 
You know, if you had gotten to Shemi, if you could have pulled out Bellingham, I could understand we buy one, you know, central strong midfielder and then possibly even an attacker um, that would play on the right or the left of the 4-2-3-1. Hopefully the right, to be honest, as cover for Mo in the long run. That would have made me very, very happy. I think if you go the bargain basement route, I'm a little bit more with Paul and I almost feel like you need to. Like, I'll give you an example, right? We've all, me and you have championed the give Renato Sanchez a try. Yeah, he failed at a big club, but he had a renaissance in France, a slower league, looks like he's a player. You know, it's the old Mo adage, right? Failed at a big club, went somewhere else, proved himself. Maybe he can come back and do a big job. But even if you signed Renato Sanchez, you probably still need another body in there just to make the numbers work. But again, I've been very honest on this podcast for, for a while now. I don't have the faith in Ox if he's still here. And I don't have the faith in Curtis Jones that so many people have. Because to be honest, if we go 4-2-3-1, Curtis Jones is your third backup on the left. And that's it. Like that, he can't play in either of the two and he doesn't play in the 10. So I would think that, you know, you start to cut your nose off despite your face kind of an attitude when you start to talk about what our depth is. Cause I'm not sure all the pieces we have right now fit into the four, two, three, one puzzle. Many of them still fit into Klopp's four, three, three that he's been running through every age level at the club for six, seven years. And I think that's going to be a big question too, is, is, how adaptable are these players to a new formation? So if you had in your shopping list, who's on top? If you had only got one guy there, Paul, who are you putting in here? Money be damned. Well, I guess I shouldn't say money be damned. Let's say realistically. Your sound is not on, Paul. We're not with us. Okay, and so I price the technical difficulty. Here we go. Go. <laughs> so price not like being in the equation, it'd be Bellingham, right? I don't think that's gonna happen just based on the fact that Dortmund is not gonna let two key players go at the same time. I still think we should make a run at Bellingham because I think he's gonna be 30% more expensive next year. There's gonna be a lot more competition. Real Madrid is out of the running this summer because of their visa issues. Um, so I think now is the time to strike with Bellingham. Uh, but I would be just as happy with Sangari, even at 40 million. Um, I think that out of PSV, I think he fills a lot of holes for what we need in terms of the defensive mid position. I think he makes a lot of sense in terms of like what we want, his age, like his role and what he'd be happy to do and sort of what he is as a player. I think he makes a lot of sense. How about you there, Gally? Who do you have? I mean, I I don't want to sound like a broken record. I think there's one big name everyone knows that the club wants. And I think our transfer history has proven we wait for players that we deem the right fit. You know, I, I go all the way back to Van Dyke and Southampton digging in and us getting slapped on the wrist for tapping him up. And we waited six months, even though it meant, you know, waiting another year to compete. And we got our guy in January and everything basically changed from there. So I would go hard at Bellingham now with a nabby like deal. I would pay over, leave him in Dortmund for another year for a guarantee that he is, you know, pre-signed for July 1st, not alone. It's a done deal where he stays another year. And I think he'd be happy for it because I don't think Bellingham wants the pressure of coming to England three months before the World Cup. I really don't betting in with a new squad, figuring out a new everything. And I genuinely believe he wants Liverpool. Like, I, I think that's really what he wants at this point. I think the rumors are out there. This type of stuff that floats, it doesn't float out of Liverpool. We've seen this with signings, right? It, we, we, we don't do this. So I think, I think that's where they slide through. I, th I think if they're smart, they make a move for him now. And they kind of stash him over in Germany for another year. Dortmund gets their money. But most importantly, Liverpool knows what they have going forward. I still think then you go find yourself some form of a Premier League ready midfielder. Because here's the thing. 
Next year, they're going to need another midfielder. Because Ox is up on a free. Nabby's up on a free. Tiago's a year older. Henderson's a year older. There, it's not one midfielder we need, as Paul says. We need two or three. So if it has to wait a year for Bellingham, I'm fine with waiting a year for Bellingham. But I think you have to find the linchpin player. So it, it to me, this is the time to come get it. I, I mean, that is an ideal scenario, definitely. I just don't know if it's realistic. I feel like if we do go all out and get Bellingham, like in a Keita deal, which I think is doable and it's possible, um, I just don't know on top of that if we would go and get another player, Paul. What do you think? Well, I think that it's possibly going in another player because we we just talked about the fact that we need two to three, maybe. So, you know, I, I think it's more than just one player. Like, I think that you're – like, I think that you can go and get Sangari and still have room for Bellingham. I mean, how much longevity do you have in Henderson-Tiago, realistically? Like, you can't rely on those players. We're talking about in, in like, 18 months – I don't think we're going to be able to rely on Henderson and Tiago like, like we normally have. So I think that like you can get Singari now, build that depth. And Singari has flexibility. He's not just a defensive midfielder. He can play box to box, you know? So I think you can move Singari into that. And I think with Bellingham, um, you would be able to put into that. And like uh, uh, Sparky Parky's mentioning Erickson. I know a lot of people talked about Erickson. I love Erickson. I'm not 100% sold he can do some of the things that we need defensively um, mm -hmm. in, in the in the system. But, like, I mean, you do have a lot of options, whether it's it's those two players or others. There's options out there. I think it would be a, a real shame if that we look at this window as a window that we've prepared for as a club for three years. We've liquidated um, half of, like, $500 million dollars with a, a Redbird acquisition and minority share to offset COVID loss and be prepared for this window, jump ahead to financial gain and waste it by not getting the bodies that we clearly need. Yeah. See, I think with the Ericsson that Sparky Parker brings up in the comments, like, would you take Ericsson on a free while I would, I just don't know if it helps what we need. So it would not be, it would be more of like an opportunity thing because he's on a free rather than actually filling in a need that I feel like we have now in terms of midfielders that will do the attacking side of things. I think we have a lot of options, most of them being young. My main concern is obviously defensively and going back to what we we're talking about at the beginning, mainly due to these guys' history and obviously their like current age. I do like Alan Walnut's offer of getting Bellingham and giving him Keita plus cash, but right now the word is that we're trying to sign Keita to an extension, which kind of brings me to the next topic here is like kind of like leaving some of these contracts to the last year galley kind of like what we did with mo and i know a lot of the conversation now especially when it goes to mo is you know do we can we sell them now should we sell them now in january and stuff like that what is your take on how that's gonna play out i mean he clearly does not at least the places he wants to go to cannot afford them right now anyway well they're not gonna pay for him right now because here's the thing. He's made it clear, I'm going to play for Liverpool next year. So why does Barcelona pay a fee? Or Real Madrid? The only place going to pay a fee and then give him a million pounds a week is PSG. And the question is, after Mbappe signs, why does Mo want to go play second fiddle, let alone play with a guy that's arguably the best player of a generation in Messi as well? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to ask for a player to go play at PSG right now. And I just don't know that it makes sense. In Mo's case, I actually think it makes the most sense for Liverpool to hold on to him, maximize every dollar, try to win the league with him this year, let him walk next year on a free, and move on. Because I don't think he signed a contract. We went into this, you know, we don't need to get into 350, 375, or 400 breaking a wage limit. But I think it's interesting um, how many players are taking control of the transfer market by walking down their contracts to a free? 
You know, we talk about Liverpool and how next year we have Keita and Ox up, right? This year, I know it was a smaller microcosm, but Milner played his contract down to the end. These guys that normally look for the stability of money, the bird in hand, right, was always better than the guess. But now with so much money flush in football, you know, you look at Pogba running down his deal at United. He turned down 450,000 pounds a week. He's going to get paid less at Juventus, but he's getting like 30 to 50 million in a signing bonus. One-time payment. These guys are being paid world-changing money and they're being paid that because they know ahead of time what they'll get if they wait. And that's my fear. Mo knows what is for him at the end of the rainbow. And it's probably an ugly Barcelona uniform, to be totally honest. Because to me, it, he always looked like a Barca, Barca player. I don't think he wants to be in the Real Madrid dressing room, honestly. Um, jeered by their fans after the things he said about him. I, and where I look at it is, is I don't love it, but I think it's the new way of doing business. And I think that's why it's more important than ever to get paid for your for your smaller assets when you can. And you need to cash in on players that can fill coffers because I think this is a new trend that is here to stay with players I, and, taking their know, contracts. In some ways, for a player, it's smart to do because the fee that would go to the club, they get themselves. But at the same time, Paul, it feels like a really risky strategy as you know, an injury can kind of like derail that entire plan because now you're out. And I mean, based on your age, I guess, but especially for a player like Mo, for example, if you're on the like the latter stages, I mean, like an injury like an ACL or something like that that will take a year to heal really brings your value and price down. I don't know what that does though. And here's what really? I hate about that. Here's <laughs> what I hate about that at the end of the rainbow. It leads into three different separate glorious colorful paths, which are equally shitty. Real Madrid, Barcelona, and PSG. Those are the three paths that everything like ends at right now. In terms of like you, I mean, like you're the good of those three, or you funnel off in in, in glorious Wonderland in the MLS where you play golf and get paid nicely to just be subpar. Like, I mean, those are the, like, like let's be honest. Let's let's be honest. Those are the three paths. You've either made it to Barcelona, Madrid, PSG, or you funnel off into the MLS or in the really unfortunate situation, you go off into the Turkish, no offense to me, Turkish or Russian leagues. But yeah, like, but you're not getting like, the money there. But the, you know, that's what I mean. That's why I said unfortunate. But yeah. like, but like, those are, those are the paths, right? And like, I think that like for Mo, like if he gets hurt, he knows he's good enough. He's probably going to hit one of those three paths regardless. Like, and, and that's what I hate about this in general. I think I think Galley's probably right. And when I look at those teams, I don't think he wants to go play with Mbappe and Messi. I, I do think he, like, in, in some deep core-ish, uh, in some sort of deep way, he probably fundamentally hates Real Madrid. I think Barcelona probably does make the most sense. Um, and I hate that in general. I think that, like, I would love for football to get back to the point where, like, some English clubs were, were sort of stealing that because of like, but, but at the same time, like I look at Liverpool and what we stand for and what we deliver in terms of the performance in, in sort of culture. And, and I understand that if like, at some point we're not willing to pay like that, like ridiculous Disney fee that those players want. Like if, if, if being a part of that, if, if getting that Disney money is worth more than being a part of that culture, and that that winning and that that sort of familial like ownership and sense of like self, if like getting the money is worth more than that, that's fine. Like I'm okay with that because I know there, like behind a mo is a hungry player like Nunes who came from nothing, completely understands where he came from, and appreciates the fact that he lived where he lived for 14 years growing up and his family doing what they had to do to survive and like wants to be a part of that. And that's maybe he's not that forever. Maybe he gets to the point where he wants that Disney money, but for now he wants that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think I am too, basically on, on how we line up and what we expect from players and the club itself. 
Are you okay with that moving forward, Gally, having him just play out his contract? Uh, or do you see it as like a huge loss in terms of Liverpool not cashing in on him? Do I, do I feel that if you let you, as a business person, do I feel that if you let your number one valued asset leave for nothing when there would have been opportunities to get money for him, big money, is that good business? No. Um, is it the right thing to do in today's world and market? I actually think it is. And and hear me out. If you were going to sell Mo, it would have been because there was no coronavirus and he didn't want to sign the deal the year after you won the league and he delivered on everything you needed and you got $150 million for him. Then you reinvest in your squad, you you use your, your great channel of scouts and you you move forward. The money at the time, it would have made sense to sell Mo based on his contract and negotiations and when you could have got paid the biggest fee. There was no money, right? So he wasn't going to move. So I understand letting him run down as a free because this is still a team that is ready to compete on all fronts again. Where I disagree with the idea of the people who say, give him 400000 he's worth it. Give him 450 you break the structure of the club and without going down the wage structure rabbit hole, what you really do is, is you stop yourselves from investing in the same level of youth and players that can kick you on to the next level. I don't believe, and I, everybody knows I love me some Jared Bowen, right? I don't believe Jared Bowen is Mo Salah, but I'll tell you this right now. Jurgen Klopp wanted Jared Bowen before he ever signed Mo Salah because he saw him play as a 19-year-old kid at Hull City and said, that kid's got the goods. And if I get my hands on him, I'll turn him into a star. Who would have fucking thought David Moyes did it, right? But he did, to be fair. And to be fair to Jared Bowen, he stepped up when a lot of people didn't think he could do it and surely didn't think he could do it with that collection of talent around him. And I'll ask you guys this question. Are you 100% sure if Mo Salah doesn't sign at the time that he does from Roma that he is the worldwide star that he is right now considered to be a top 10 player in the world? Because I sure as hell don't. Because he looks a lot like the huge talent at Basel, the huge talent at Chelsea, the kid who ran roughshod at Fiorentina, and then the guy who figured it out a little bit at Roma that Klopp molded into a star. So I, I, I just feel like at some times we have to look at these guys and say, hey, we got five or six of the greatest years of a Liverpool player ever out of Mo Salah. And if that means he walks, because let's be real, and I'm going to say this now, he thinks, or his agents, which I equate to him, believes he is better than this club. He is better than the players at this club. He is better than the wage structure of this club. And for all the love and adoration he gets, he believes he should be recognized higher than everything else that's happening around him. And if he doesn't, then he's allowed poor individuals to paint the picture of what he feels to me as a supporter, who one who wakes up every morning and reads newspaper articles five hours freaking ahead of me, and pays a lot of attention to what's happening and tries to put my understanding and heart into what he's doing. It doesn't make any sense to me if he wants to be here. Yeah, see, I don't know. I think that's unfair on him as well to play the devil's advocate. I, I mean, I agree he would not be the same player if it wasn't at Liverpool, like if we didn't get him from Roma. But I don't think he thinks that either. I don't think he thinks, oh, whatever I went. I would have had the success. I think we've all been in situations where we know timing is everything, right? I mean, like sometimes you know, an offer comes up, it just per like just works out perfectly in that situation, and you you say, "Man, that it was all about timing," and I think that was it for him. I don't think if you ask Mo and say if he you stayed in Italy, would you be the same guy? I don't think he will tell you that he would be a world star. Because, I mean, no. he knows that he came in. It was perfect timing, a perfect storm, a squad on the rise with the talent around them, obviously enabling the style that basically suited those wingers 
taking advantage of their strengths helps them. At the same time, when you are that player, I know we think of it as a fan and we think of it as a club. But at the same time, at times, we have to kind of like step out and put yourself in the player's shoes. If you are one of the world's top players and, you know, we can argue that he might not be, for example, if he goes to Barcelona, I don't think he will be the same Mo that we have now. But you will, I think it's almost natural for your manager, first of all, to tell you, hey, this is how you should be getting compensated. Because obviously that's how the manager is going to get paid too. And I think it's kind of like naturally. If we were the most successful in our field, we would expect to be compensated like that. I mean, I understand like, where his angle is coming from as well. I think sometimes as fans, we can, I'm not saying we should pay him that, but I can understand why he would think that is, I guess, like my point. And like Paul, so like what I want to like really more ask is, you know, at the same time, like what Galley is saying, we could have cashed on him a couple of years ago. But to play, again, the devil's advocate, because that's what I do, if we did that then, wouldn't everybody be up in arms against FSG, against, you know, like, what we, you know, the club in general saying, oh, we're thinking small, we won the title, we should be, we should be adding instead of removing. Even that offseason where we didn't add anything, people were going apeshit. So I can only imagine if we sold, you know, Mo, and we could have gotten, like Gally is saying, we could have gotten a lot of money for him. I don't know what it would have happened then. So, Paul, come to you. Microphone on. Turn on. There you go. I mean, like, don't you think the fans would go crazy if he happened? We did take advantage of the time and got the money for him? I mean, of course they would. Like, of course they would. I, I think, like, whether we sold them this year or next year, like, I think when you get into a player of most stratosphere, no matter what you do, it's probably any sort of change other than he stays with the club is probably going to be met with some sort of negativity, right? I mean, let's be honest. Um, I think – I think for Mo's perspective, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think that he probably feels like he's one of the best. But I, I also, I also think that Mo is an intelligent enough person to understand that where he is in terms of his success has a lot to do with the pieces that are around him, whether it's Bobby Henderson, Fabinho, Sadio. I think he's smart enough to know that, and I say that just because, like. I think there's a bit of humility that Mo has that I didn't have as, as like a, a young sort of soccer player that did well, it, not nearly to the degree as Mo, but I understood that. Like I understood on my team when I went up through the state of Michigan up into the Olympic development program and got sort of escalated into that system and did well. Like I knew that a lot of the attention that I was getting was because I was playing against a younger prodigy forward who took a lot of the double teams that opened me up in my team that gave me the space. And I was a pace born player. Like I predicated a lot of my game on pace, like, and I got the space to do the things that I needed to do to be efficient as a player because I had a player next to me that drew attention. And I think like when you look at our team, I think Bobby does those things where he sinks in the mids and makes space. And I think Sadio was a good enough. He was a world-class talent. And took, and took space and took attention from defenders. I think Mo is smart enough on an elite level to know those things. Like, I think that it's possible for Mo to think that he's one of the world's best and to understand that he's profited from a system. And, and I think that both of those things can be true. And I think that, you know, maybe it is, it is time. Where, like, both Sadio and Mo, I think, are very, di very, very different case scenarios. I think Sadio is in a position where he just needed a new identity. He wanted to be in a different situation where he wasn't in Mo's shadow. He wanted to be in a situation where it was just a change for him in general. Whereas I think Mo has been the man for so long, he's got to make the decision. Does he want to go for Disney money or does he want to go for general legacy? Like, does he want to really lay a legacy down? And like, 
either decision he makes, I'm not going to judge him for because I'm grateful for some of the best years of his career. And I'm grateful for the things that we achieved through Mo. And I'm not going to judge him on either of those. But I think we've got a firm line in the sand where business sort of basically parts that. You know, whether Mo decides that it's best it's his best interest to go for more money or whether it's for his best interest to take great money and continue a legacy with this program and what we do, that's up to him. And I'm, 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 I am sincerely at peace with either decision. I almost feel like he's torn, Gally. Like he doesn't know, like he's trying to find a happy medium where he can get a wage that's high enough to make him happy and feel, I know, appreciated, respected in terms of like where he is in like world soccer kind of thing. But he also like kind of like appreciates, like we've been saying, that you know this is what made him get there in the first place, coming to this place. So in terms of guts feeling, you're saying he will pretty much play out this year. Yeah, I, I've go ahead. He's gone. I'm sorry. I he's gone. And 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 I've been saying it now. You know, I think a year ago this time I was saying, I think he resigns the deal. I want him to resign a deal. And Paul was saying he will sign a deal. It'll be by January this year. Like we'll get this done. It'll, it makes too much sense for all parties involved, but I've been, I'm 44 years old. Right. And I've been watching sports. Like I'm covering it since I was a 10 year old kid. Like I was the kid who cared more about the business of sport when I was a little dude than anybody should. And I'm going to admit that rightfully. Right. But Players don't get this close to the end of their contracts and re-sign with the team or club that they're with. Just about any sport. When you get this close, you become a free. And when you become a free, there's always somebody out there that woos you. There's always somebody out there that makes it a better deal, that shows you your new house. You know, I hate to say it. It steals a terrible line, right? It's why middle-aged dudes leave their wives for youngins. There's something better around the corner. No, and it, it, it's it, it's something about the newness, right? It, it is. It's something about it. And, and often, right, what happens? That same guy at 45 that has the midlife crisis that leaves their wife that was the best thing ever and finds the nice hot 22-year-old, they get to like 55 and they're thinking to themselves, shit, man, my ex-wife looks really good. And really happy in those pictures. And everything good back there. It's not that different from players. They leave midstream. And they think the grass is greener somewhere else. And honestly, what ends up happening is, is they miss the heyday. And I hope, to Paul's point, that genuinely Mo Salah doesn't wish that he didn't walk away from the place that made him so happy and made him so fulfilled as a footballer. Because I genuinely believe he'll play out the string and probably play for a couple more clubs before he's done. And he'll never replicate anything close to what he has at Anfield. And I do believe, whether he likes it or not, there will be this much tarnish on that legacy if he walks away and supporters know it was just about money. And I think that's Guys. a hard thing. If we continue this, I'm going to have to fucking plug my therapist in. She's $85 an bigger, hour. I'm just telling you, coming. dude, she's expensive. I'm going to have to plug her in if we continue this because there's a lot of trauma going on right now. <laughs> I'm just telling I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to get expensive for us real fast. Yeah, I can yeah, see this podcast getting in trouble with all the wives. Our wives, all the wives out there. Uh, Darren says, Sala wants I've been doing this wives. backwards the whole time. So before we get in more trouble with the wives, um, thanks to Gally over here, Bickler, what should everybody be doing? Give everybody, not wife advice, but just regular social media advice here. So we're doing this thing where us three knuckleheads are going to be on YouTube, which is kind of weird. So uh, go over to the AS uh, American Scouser channel, like and subscribe. If you want to see three dudes that have no business being in front of the general public, uh, on YouTube regularly, you can like and subscribe, and there'll be more content. Yep, and we could all—I mean, we could all be single by then. It could be like a single guys podcast. Thanks to Gally over here. <laughs> First of all, it won't you guys got to catch Gally. up with me. 
Won't be thanks to Gally. Paul's already Paul's already freaking got a got a therapist for all of us on speed dial. <laughs> and if I'm I single, up, which I'm sure is shocking to a lot of people. And if I end up single in the next year, it'll have nothing to do with anything I did, my fantasy team did. It will be the fact that my wife already, after 48 hours, loves a goddamn animal in the house more than she loves me. So to Paul's point, I'm so happy, Paul, that it you know, you joked it would take a week for me to be in the garage. I'm barely in the garage. 4.30 in the morning, I'm in the backyard with the dog. She's texting me, was that you going outside? I'm thinking my wife is worried that I've been up all night with this puppy. No, she wanted to make sure the goddamn dog was okay and there wasn't something wrong. She didn't care that I had to work or that she was going to the office today. No, no, no. So... Loki, I love you, Galley, but I'm I love you, Galley, but I'm Loki so happy this is happening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so much built up stuff over here. Well, as predicted, this has been a wild ride this Monday. So just as a reminder, in case you didn't take Bickler seriously, uh yeah, head over to YouTube, subscribe to our channel. Uh, starting in July, we will have a full-blown American Scouser TV over there with a lot more shows, uh, a lot more content, a lot more general content as well on the Premier League, as well as like fantasy football and all that kind of good stuff. For now, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, we will have to schedule because I'm assuming Paul is going to be out there with fireworks uh, or Galley is going to be out there having the dog poop or something. It's the 4th of July night, so we will probably reschedule, but we will definitely be with you guys. So keep an eye on the Facebook page for the exact time of the broadcast. Take care, everybody.